This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 29 of The Fourth Wall. I'm, of course, your host, Griffin Schiller, and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors, writers, actors, you name it. This show is, of course, part of the Playlist Podcast Network where you can find the rest of our amazing film and television-centric catalog. We're talking shows like The Discourse, Be Real, Deep Focus, and so much more. Whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered over there. So consider subscribing to the podcast feed. And today is finally the day. I am so thrilled to be able to bring you all my conversation with Pete Doctor, Kemp Powers, and Dana Murray talking about Pixar's latest film, Soul, which I have to say right now is still my favorite film of the year. And I think it's going to be one that really resonates with people and hits them on an emotional level. In my opinion, it's everything they've been working towards as an animation studio. And so to be able to talk with the creative hive mind behind this film was just an absolute treat. If you thought Pixar's resume couldn't get any more impressive soul, the studio's upcoming release about passion, music, and a soul in training will prove you wrong. That's no small task. After all, Pixar already boasts a repertoire of heavy hitters such as Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., Finding Nemo, The Incredibles, Coco, and the list goes on. The team at Pixar has shown beyond doubt their ability to tell great stories and to do so year in and year out. Pixar's diverse blend of creative minds produces an authenticity that rings true in real life. Playwright Kemp Powers, the co-director of Soul and writer of Regina King's directorial debut One Night in Miami, is a New York native. And he emphasized this authenticity in the context of the animated cityscape. So much of Joe's Borough of Queens came from Power's own experience living in the city, specifically his commute into Manhattan and what certain streets would look like and how every corner and every block is different from the last. That kind of diversity and that attention to detail was so integral into bringing New York City to life. And so it makes Soul, one of the best films to depict New York City ever. To also ensure a lifelike portrayal of the city, which would have to pass the scrutiny of a longtime New York City commuter such as Kemp Powers, the Pixar team brought in cinematographer Bradford Young as a lighting consultant. And what he was able to add to the film visually is unlike anything I've ever seen in a Pixar film and really highlights the humanity of the story through visual storytelling. Beyond authenticity, though, it's the concept of finding one's purpose in life and how that purpose may change and celebrating mentors and teachers that make Soul the movie Pixar has been building towards since Woody and Buzz took their first steps. 
By inspecting a struggling musician's life purpose and connection to his true self, Pixar's latest aspires to a depth not often seen in animated films, specifically animated films geared towards the entire family. It takes chances in the same way Inside Out did in dealing with taboo emotion. It's daring in the same way Coco was in confronting death. So sure, you know, in watching Soul when it's released on Christmas Day, you'll be engrossed in a story worthy of Pixar's record with endearing characters and really sharp comedy, but you'll also be challenged. You'll be made to think and feel, and you'll leave the film with a new perspective and maybe even a new purpose. And uh, you think that's a tall order for Pixar? My conversation with Pete Docter, Kemp Powers, and Dana Murray might convince you otherwise. So without further ado, let's get into this thing. It was an absolute delight, a treat, a privilege to talk with these geniuses and just um, you know, have a really casual conversation about collaboration, depicting New York City, and the importance and power of the themes and motifs discussed in Pixar's So. So I hope you all enjoy. Here is my conversation with Pete Dr. Kemp Powers and Dana Murray. Well, nice artwork back there. Cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Oh, well, I. You know, weirdly enough, I do have the uh, the, yeah. the Incredibles one there, cool. <laughs> which ironically uh, I I purchased when I went to Pixar last year for uh, Toy Story Four. So that was like a oh, whole wow. you know That's experience cool. going on with that. But um, how are you guys doing with the whole release of this film? I have to imagine it's it's really different. You know, just really strange. Uh, especially some sequences in this film. I'm like, I, I would have killed to see you know the prologue stuff on like an IMAX screen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a weird time. You know, we're sitting at home, which you can you can't really tell because of the back backdrops. But we're all you know normally we'd be traveling around talking to people, and instead we're sitting at home. Uh, and and of course that's where the film's going to come out too at at people's houses. But you know, it's great that people will be able to see it. Period. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we're in this weird time in history where you know we're can't can't leave the house, and um, so to have Disney Plus is a real really great thing yeah no for sure and and i feel like it's the it's the perfect film to come out for like families during the holiday season it's like i I don't know just like watching this i was like this is the message and just like the story that i needed in my life right now you know it's just like everything sort of going on so it was i don't know it was really nice to see that but one of the things that i really liked about the film was that it's definitely you know, an exploration of of finding purpose in life and finding, you know, ever your spark or whatever. Um, and it's also a, a beautiful ode to uh, teachers and mentors that bring out the best of, of who we are. So I'm, I'm sure each of you has had, you know, countless mentors throughout your career. But I'm curious if, uh, you know, each of you could discuss, you know, maybe one mentor or so who made possibly the biggest em- impact on your life and, and why that is. Hmm. Wow. I have a couple ideas. Go ahead. Uh, I think um, I, this this coach of mine, I, I played volleyball in high school, and he was um, his name was Gene Selznick. He's passed now, and he was the first um, beach volleyball Olympian. So he really knew his stuff. He just gave me the confidence that I never had before in myself and to really just trust myself. And um, I just I think about him a lot. Mm, yeah, for yeah. me, it's, it's um, one key one, I think, would probably be my freshman um, freshman year college um, English teacher, um, Heather Banks. 
just because my freshman year of college, I had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. And it was my, my essay writing one-on-one class where I wrote a piece and she pulled me aside and just said, and you're, you're really, really a good writer. You should consider doing this like for a living. And I was like, well, what does that mean? And she kind of directed me to like walk across the street to the student newspaper of the Hilltop and kind of start writing as a journalist. And that, that kind of kicked off my journalism career for the next 17 years of my life. Just yeah. having someone tell me that I was good at something. Like I, I think people underestimate how much when you do these types of things, um, how you, you lack a certain, just, you just, you just like to get some affirmation every now and then. And, um, and we don't get very much of it, at least not as much as you would think that we do. So it just takes that little bit of affirmation to, to give you enough energy to chase something for a, a decade, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. For me, it was probably the first feature I worked on was uh, toy story and Joe Ramped was our head of story. I always had this idea that films would come fully formed and people would just make it. And instead, it was this slog of rewriting and throwing stuff out. And Joe was so patient and um, understood all this in ways that none of the rest of us did. Um, passed on a lot of wisdom to us. Yeah, for sure. Well, And, and I, I think there's there's something interesting about like the the lessons that you learn when you're you know, when you're growing up and you're still sort of trying to find your way versus like the lessons that, you know, mentors in like a professional field can teach you. And it's, it's like, you know, it's just one of those reminders that it's like you, you never, um, you never really stop learning, you know, it's like, even when you think that, you know, what you, you want to do and it's something that I think this, this film does really well, especially with Joe, it's like, even when you have your, your mind like dead set on a path and you think, oh, this is, I, I got it. Uh, you know, other doors sort of present themselves and like you have teachers that can, you know, maybe show you uh, things that you didn't even think about. Yeah, absolutely. I think yeah, uh, I mean, you gotta be, I also think you have to be willing to learn because that's, that's the element of mentorship that I think that a lot of times people aren't willing to really, some of my, some of the most important mentors from in my profession and my career, I've learned from them through osmosis almost, you know, I mean, I would count Pete as one of them. Pete's been a mentor just over the, the process of, of making this film. And it's not like Pete ever sat me down and said, Kemp, here's how I'm going to make you a really good co-director and writer. I'm just <laughs> like, just do your damn job, man. And like, watch what he's doing. And you'll, you have to, you have to be willing to learn. <laughs> and work hard. <laughs> yeah. Work really hard and, and learn. Yeah. Go, go well, watch I the stage play Red by, by John Logan. And <laughs> that's a great idea of, um, you know, hardcore mentorship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and actually, that, that I'm glad you brought that up because I am curious. Uh, yeah, you you mentioned you both co-directed this film, and Kemp, I believe this is your this is your first feature that you had a hand in in directing. So I'm I'm curious how you sort of got involved in the project, and then also, um, you know, when when it came to time to decide on you know being a co-director, what what was sort of the the thing that pushed you into saying yes, I, I think I want to do this. Well, that they asked me to. Um, that was, uh, no, because I, I, I came on board as a writer. They, they hired me simply um, as a writer. Um, the, I, I love the idea of the story, but I felt um, the reason I was so excited to get on board with this project was because I saw how potentially I thought I could help make it better, um, help make it into something potentially um, great. And uh, when, I, when I first came on board, it just shows you how how slow it is to kind of build up trust. I, I kind of expected it to be a 12 week job. Uh, mm -hmm. It was a, uh, it was a 12 week contract with a bunch of options. 
and I think it was Kevin Nolting, our editor, I was like, well, yeah, Thanksgiving, I'm going to be done. And Kevin Nolting was the one who said, man, you're not going anywhere. You better, <laughs> you better plan to be here a few years. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a 12-week job. And after about, I think, close to a year of writing on the, the film, Pete and Dana sat me down um, and asked me, um, would I be interested in being co-director? To which I replied, what does that even mean? And, and they said, you've kind of been doing it already. Because yeah. I didn't, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. I didn't realize they'd been involving me in so many other things that writers usually were not involved in. From mm -hmm. edit to dailies, to casting, to marketing. So it was very much a karate kid kind of scenario where I had been like waxing the floor and painting the fence. And then one day Pete was like, you know, karate. So I was like, all right, cool, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, oh, oh, go ahead. It wasn't the intention at all, Like, it, but Temp just was, he was involved in everything. Like we would find him down in animation working with the animators without us asking. And it quickly became obvious that we couldn't finish the film without us, without him. And so it kind of just was this natural fit. Yeah, well, I, that's one of the things that I really love about uh, the filmmaking process at, at Pixar. You know, sort of just like the more I learn about it. Like, yes, there are directors, but it, it really is the definition of a true collaborative effort you know uh, like it, it like you said like Kemp you'll you'll be working with the animators or whatnot and it may, might not be something that you uh thought you would be doing but it is like you know they they start to see what you're capable of and then uh you're you know lo and behold you're a co-director on the film yeah well I mean I don't I don't understand how someone couldn't be excited to be around such great creative people like yeah. um, Stick Pilcher who was like really a, a key member of our team I found myself just going to his office once a week just because I wanted to see what he was working on, just because I thought his art was so incredible and he would be doing color scripts and stuff. And I just, thankfully, to, I guess I'm lucky in that people were receptive to this guy who kept popping his head into their office saying, hey, what you doing in here? Because it, it really was, um, to, I know it sounds like a cliche, but it, it really was like you're seeing magic happening. Mm. And I figure, when am I going to have another opportunity to be this close to so many people doing such amazing things so you know the opportunity was is there you just got to be willing to take it i think the great collaborators recognize the work that they're doing and don't try to do anybody else's work but contribute and spread knowledge around you know i think mm -hmm. what people might get confused with is like oh well collaborative means i can come in and move over camp i'm going to do the writing or dana i'm going to produce now, you know that that doesn't work everybody has a very assigned task otherwise the film doesn't get done but uh, we do want people to collaborate, to talk with each other, to spread information and ideas around. And that's what really makes things go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, moving a little bit away from the collaborative process, I, I, I think one of the things that really uh, struck out to me in the film, just being a creative myself, is, you know, how you tackled unhealthy obsession and how, uh, you know, pigeonholing yourself and then also like being in the zone, as you put it, are kind of like two opposite ends of the, the, the spectrum here. Um, and I, I have to imagine that you've all experienced some form of this, you know, being creatives throughout your career. So I'm curious as to what the indicator was that maybe you had taken a certain passion of yours too far and then how you were able to sort of like reel that in and reconnect with life. Well, in my case, my wife is a great uh, kind of uh, stabilizing force um, because I do tend to just get obsessed with things and spend all my time you know, in, in the creative world. And so she's like, you know, uh, be home at this time or, you know, our kids have, you know, a concert or whatever it is. And, and that's 
always a really healthy thing because you never know where, I mean, even, even selfishly, like back to the creative things, you never know where those ideas are going to come from. I got so much out of watching. I mean, actually, okay. In the very beginning of the movie, it starts with like a bad band rehearsal and the Mm -hmm. trombonist plays and the end of his slide falls off. That came from one of my kids, uh, my son's uh, fifth grade concert. That happened during the concert, and it was, uh, <laughs> it was just so funny. We put it in the movie. Um, I went to more of the uh, the general setting of the film, just in New York City, because uh, I, I, you know, I I haven't lived in the city, but I've visited several times. I have I have cousins who live there, and I just felt like you guys really nailed the authenticity of it. Like it just felt like a living, breathing, uh, you know, entity, which is what New York City is, and I think more often than not. Films often depict like a very superficial interpretation of it or, or like a flyover view of it. Um, so I'm curious for you guys, what what was the challenge in capturing that uh, authenticity? And then how did you know or, or when did you know when you achieved that? Well, I mean, look, I'm from New York and I just wanted it to be someplace recognizable to me as someone who grew up there. But honestly, it's just everyone, the, the, the amount of research um, that goes into all these films is is pretty monumental. So our artists and designers, they, there were trips that were taken to New York City. People were able to visit in person. You, it's funny. People always have their sketch pads out. They've all they're always taking pictures of and, and not of what you would expect. I think didn't you say Steve was kind of obsessed with the gum? On yeah. The <laughs> so he was like taking pictures of all the gum on the sidewalk. Yeah, like different. <laughs> they they lock in on all those little details that. I wouldn't be able, you know, or Pete wouldn't be able to tell them, look out for this. This is New York. It's just different people notice different things. And then collectively, people pour all those great ideas, you know, into the film. And, and it ends up being, you know, pretty authentic and, and realistic. I think that something that was really important to all of us is that it not be what I think of as like generic New York, where it seems like every block looks the same. It was really important that when our character Joe was in Queens, it was like recognizable as Queens versus being in the village in Manhattan. So, mm. you know, part of the borough you're in. I mean, Joe, honestly, the the a lot of the areas we see Joe in, particularly when he's near the subway, is a neighborhood I used to live in. You know, mm. it's basically it's basically Sunnyside and, and, and Woodside and Jackson Heights, Queens with the seven train. So I just know that so well that, I, it, and it, when it starts feeling like what I recognize on my own commute into the office, that left turn the seven train takes behind the Silver Cup Studios sign. Like these are all like things in your from from like being a regular commuter. And Pixar does a, such a great job with its artists of getting all that detail in there. Yeah, for sure. Um, I got to start ra- wrapping things up here, but I do have one final question for you. Uh, one of the things that I loved was how uh, you collaborated with Bradford Young on this uh, uh, project. Uh, you know, he's one of my favorite cinematographers working today. And I thought uh, when, when I found out that he was a lighting consultant on that, so many of the shots just really clicked for me. Um, so I'm curious if you could talk about, you know, what ideas he brought to the table that assisted in the look of the film and then what value you get out of working with like a, a, a DP like him who has worked on a physical film set, um, you know, in an animation studio. We brought him in at first because of the challenge of lighting darker skin which we hadn't done a lot of, but, and he could speak to this much more intelligently than I can, but he has such uh, far reaching ideas about lighting. You know, it's not just like, Hey, this is a dark room. It's an economic statement. 
you know, that that uh, if you can afford to live in this or that kind of house, it's going to reflect in the way the lighting works around you. And so he brought what I would have thought of as sort of a craft level thing into the art of the storytelling and deep statements about it. Um, so he just such a, a an intelligent, uh, a very uh, thought provoking ideas that he brought forward. And Ian McGimmon, who is our um, director of photography, really partnered with him to um, bring a lot of those ideas into the film, sort of single point lighting, um, uh, much darker kind of overall values on the screen than, than maybe you're used to in some of our films. Um, yeah, he, he's one of uh, a great number of amazing collaborators that I think really helped us take this film to another level. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, thank you all so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Absolutely love the film. It is like, it's, I'm not just saying this. It, it truly is, I think, some of some of your finest work as an animation studio. So uh, really kudos to you guys. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, guys. That was my conversation with Pete Doctor, Kemp Powers, and Dana Murray. Really uh, such a fun, great, insightful conversation. I love these guys. And I really love being able to talk with these geniuses at Pixar. There's just something so fascinating and inspirational about the way they make movies. And it's why they've been so successful at it for decades, and it's why no one is is really doing what they are. And so I hope you all be taken back by the emotions of it, how impressive of a feat it is, and how heartwarming, comforting, and uh, important the message is in there. Aside from it being just an absolutely gorgeous film with uh, really cool concepts and whatnot. But like I said, Soul hits Disney Plus on December 25th, Christmas Day. Don't miss it. It's my favorite film of the year. If you want to give me a great Christmas present, uh, it would be watching that film. But the most important thing is, guys, we want to hear from you all, and we want to know what your favorite Pixar film is down in the comments section of wherever you're listening to this episode. Be sure, as always, to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network so you don't miss out on another episode of The Fourth Wall and the rest of our amazing film and television-centric catalog over there. Whatever your fix is, we definitely have you covered. So consider subscribing to the podcast feed and if you want to go to the extra step and you really want to make my day give me another great christmas present uh it would be amazing if you left us a rating and a review as it greatly helps the show out helps us get noticed and it allows me to know what you're all loving and what you want to see more of so this is my final episode of the fourth wall for 2020 it's been a great year conducting amazing interviews with incredible talents you know for as much as 2020 has really been this absolute shitstorm and it's been really difficult for a lot of people myself included these conversations always brought about a nice escape and uh it, it was it was something that you know helped me take my mind off of the uh horrible things sort of plaguing our world at the moment and so i hope i was able to bring some level of comfort to your 2020 with these episodes and i I hope to be able to continue doing that in the new year but until then guys i hope you all have a happy holidays merry christmas whatever it is you celebrate in a phenomenal new year let's let's make sure 2021 is better than than this one we got going on here but if you like me specifically and you like what i'd say you can give me a follow on twitter at griff schiller all right that's gonna do it for this episode of the fourth wall guys and i will catch you next time take care